Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Thank you, thank you. My name's Scott. I think I've gotten to meet everybody. We're so glad to be just together again this weekend. It's a really special weekend for us as a church body as well. And we're in the final week of a series called Let's Go. And if maybe you haven't caught all those pieces, you can catch up on, our, on the website, on the app as well. That's all available for you. And every series that we kind of talk through here, we want it to be helping us know how to live the gospel, to give that away to our community, to really internalize it. That's true for everything here. Uh, but this is, this is a part of that for sure, but it's also connecting us with kind of where we're heading as a church, our long-term vision, what we believe God has done for us. But I want to make sure that I say something this weekend that I think that may have been lost in some of the details of as we've been having this conversation here together in different sized groups, and that is that let's go is biblical. That what we're doing here is biblical. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a statement here, I'm gonna give you this note, and then I'm gonna unpack it here. So this is the idea that let's go is a prayerful strategic effort to continue to contextualize the directives given to the church universal and the local church, right? That's a big statement, it's a mouthful. Let me unpack that just a little bit. I think it's really important for us to understand that. That there might be a thought process that, hey, the church is making a, a turn here, that we're doing something different, that we're doing something new, that somehow we're changing our DNA, and that's not the case at all. We're simply continuing something we've always been doing as a church. So our elders, our leaders, we've gotten together, we've prayerfully considered, God, what do you want us to do, and what's the most strategic way to step forward into that? And so what we're trying to do is something that the church has always done, and that's to contextualize the gospel. Now that, that's a fancy word for help for, to mean that we want to help the gospel make sense in our community to the people that God has called us to because a bunch of churches are called to other places to do different kinds of things, but God has called us here in this community, and so we wanna think through, we wanna think through what's the best way to do that, to make it make sense, to make the gospel clear and accessible here in this community, and so we would do things like you know, make sure that we use a particular kind of language so that it just makes sense to our community, that we would, you know, meet in such a way or do certain kind of activities so that people could understand that. And, and this is the thing that God has always asked the church to do. All throughout history, this has been true. This is the church universal's um, mandate and directive. So the church universal is this idea that there are Christians across the globe in every country, across all time, and these are mandates that are true for all of those people. So that would be things like, hey, go and make disciples. Gather together, study God's word, sing songs together, tell people who don't know about God all about his love for them. And so we're trying to do something that all the church is called to do to make Jesus clear and accessible. This is something that the church has always done and that we've always done, and we're doing that in the context then of the local church. Now the local church is this idea that it's not just anyone, all places that follow Jesus, that it's a group of people that say, hey, we wanna be in community together, that there's leadership there, that there's um, accountability, that there's a shared sense of mission, that we're all going in the same direction together. And so that is a very biblical idea. And the idea that we would then, as a local church, that we would come together and produce leaders, that's a biblical idea. And the idea that we would be on mission and try to reach and make more disciples, that's a biblical idea. And we're just talking about what's the best way for us to do that. What's the best way for us to do that? And so when we think about Let's Go, when we think about these conversations we've been having about a 24-7 facility, when we think about multiplying churches, developing leaders, this is all just a part of what God has called us as his followers to do. When we started as a church, when we made different pivot points as we went, when we went through different challenges, we kept answering that question, what's the best way to make disciples and move the ball down the field? And we just wanna keep doing that. So as we talk about this, my hope is that people are able to connect with our future as a church, but I also want everyone to be considering just connecting with the church far beyond life, uh, let's go. So if you're not involved in a life group, get involved in a life group. 
If, if you're not serving yet, start to serve. If you're not here regularly, start being here regularly. If you're not engaged in the mission of the church to make Jesus famous and make more disciples, we want Let's Go to be a catalyst in your life to start engaging at that level. So we've worked really hard. We've worked really hard with this campaign to say that Let's Go is a family-wide adventure as we journey from here to there. And God has brought us through some incredible spaces into a great place where we are right now. And it would be so easy to just continue to coast, to do what's easy. And as incredible as our here is, we feel like God has said there's something even greater. And if you're really going to contextualize, if you're really gonna activate the gospel in your community, you can't be content to just stay here. And so we're doing our best to follow that kind of directive. And we're doing our best to say, hey, this is something that we want everyone to be a part of. This is not just the call of your pastor. This is not the call of your life group leaders. This is not the call of your elders. This is the call of everyone who calls themselves followers of Jesus Christ is to be on mission and to be a part of this. And this is an all skate. And so as we think about let's go, I just wanna remind us of some of these broad kind of swatches of what we're trying to accomplish together, what we're going after and why we're trying to go after it. What we're doing in, is in this campaign over the series of three years, the camp, you know, we're not gonna talk about this for three years, but that's the span of time that we're talking about that we're trying to raise somewhere in the vicinity of $400,000 over the span of three years above and beyond normal giving. Now listen, that's a huge stretch for our church. That is a faith stretch for us. We've never done anything like this before. So since we've never done this before, we said let's talk to some people who have. And we're working with some partners who have done this with around 1,000 churches and they looked at our church and they said, hey, we think you're in a healthy spot to do this and actually for where you're at in the country and your size, we think this is a reasonable goal for you. And, and here's what we're trying to do. We're not just raising the funds to raise the funds. We're doing this to help us contextualize the gospel in our environment. And a huge part of that is to secure a 24-7 facility. And so the idea would be that those funds would first and foremost go to help us put a down payment on an existing facility. Uh, and if that doesn't become available, then we're buying land and we're starting to move towards building on that. And the goal would be that we would have this ministry center that we can invite the community into, that we can use as a launch pad to serve and, and, and do outreaches from that space, to have a space where our children and our students can meet throughout the week and be able to utilize that for kingdom impact. And kind of a secondary goal, a secondary goal would be also to raise funds for church planting. And our goal would be that as our church grows and God continues to bless us, that when we approach somewhere between 200 and 300 people, and that seems like that's so far off that we can't even think about that, but, but our goal would be that as we get to that space, we've been intentionally praying for that, we've been planning for that, we've been thinking about our leadership, we've been saying, God, where do you want us to go in that, in that space, in that time, and to have the resources to take action on that. And if we're gonna have, um, if, if we're gonna step into that, it also means that we need to think about leadership development and, and how to do that. And so those are three aspects of this campaign that we're gunning for here. Now, what I, what I want you to know is that within 10 to 15 minutes of this church, there's about 45,000 unchurched, not people, but unchurched people in that window around this community. And we know, because we've, all been here in the last two years, that this space, this, this place just continues to grow as people move into this space. That number's only going to get higher. There is never a lack of unsaved people here. Now, there can often be sometimes this conversation as, as church folk where we'll say, well, what kind of church are you? Are you, a, are you a feed the Christians you already have and are you a discipleship church or are you an outreach and just try to find unsaving, unsaved people, right? Like, which one of those are you? Now, listen, I would say that if we're gonna be serious about following Jesus, those two things are, are, are linked. We cannot separate them out. They are not mutually exclusive. They are actually one and the same because you can't say that as a Christ follower, you know, I wanna grow and I wanna understand the heart and the mind of God and I'm gonna study his word and understand what made Jesus tick. I can't do that if I don't start thinking about those people that Jesus came 
to, 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 to suffer so that they could come close to, to God. And, and if I love these people, then I don't just say, hey, great, you know Jesus, and not care about them growing and, and having, having a life-giving, growing faith with Jesus, right? So they're all a part of that same process of discipleship. In fact, what we would do is we would say that evangelism is actually pre-conversion discipleship. It's all a part of making disciples of Jesus. So we're not separating those out. And we said that we wanna be a part of a solution where there is consistently an increasing number of people coming to a growing, vibrant, maturing, growing faith in Jesus Christ, that that number needs to consistently be increasing. And so we would say that as God is faithful as you have been, as much as we love one another, as much as we love having backyard barbecue bashes and, and potlucks and just coming together for a campfire and spending time together, like we love spending time together, as much as we love that, we never want that to be our idol at the cost of living out the mission that Jesus has called us to. And so as comfortable as our here is, we can't stay here. We need to keep advancing God's kingdom in our midst. We believe God is asking us to continue to trust in him and to move towards his kingdom advancing through us. Throughout this campaign, we've been kind of considering a similar story of God's people moving from here to there, the nation of Israel. They had wandered in the desert for 40 years. They had seen God do amazing things. And God said, it's time to move from here to there. And so they stand on the banks of the River Jordan and it required that they would move from these patterns that were really comfortable for them. They had gotten used to a nomadic lifestyle. They had gotten used to gathering the manna off the ground. They had gotten used to all that that lifestyle meant. And yet God said, there's something even greater for you. So as they're entering into their promised land, into their there, they are at their here and they're looking there and between their here and their there is the city of Jericho and it's not the biggest city, but it was strategically located and it was scary and it had great fortifications and it was all locked down and for them to get from there here to there, they had to go through that city. And so they said, we want to go to that place, but we know that there's an obstacle in front of us. And here's the thing. That obstacle was not their first obstacle, was it? Not when they looked over how God had faithfully taken them through the desert. And it also wasn't going to be their last one. It wasn't their first obstacle and wasn't their last one. And, and what we believe is that God is calling us to faithfully follow him because we've had obstacles in the past and we're going to have obstacles in the future. We're going to have Jericho's in front of us, but oftentimes, listen, oftentimes on the path from here to there, so many times when there's a Jericho in the way, when that Jericho falls, there are so many amazing stories that we get to tell and we already have told about how God has faithfully stood by us. In fact, I'd say it this way, that in any situation, the more Jerichos that fall on the way to the promised land, the more compelling the story. The more Jerichos that fall on the way, the more compelling the story. And it's amazing, all of the stories of all the Jerichos that had to fall before ever they got to their current Jericho. In fact, the Old Testament is so vibrant and so powerful because it's God's hand of faithfulness of walking with his people through the desert and consistently delivering them, consistently listening to their cry. Isn't it true that we love the underdog story? And that's the, that's the story of the nation of Israel, right? These slaves that were oppressed and how God delivered them from the giant of Pharaoh and how David and Goliath and, and we even love underdog stories in contemporary culture. You know, I love reading about when the Ukraine takes over territory from their oppressors there and I'm like, I love the underdog story. And when I think about what has to happen here for Let's Go, you know what? There, it feels like there's a ton of Jerichos for us on the way to what God has called us to. Not the least of which is just the finances. You know, somewhere in the vicinity of $400,000, I look at that and that just makes me go, God, how on earth are we going to do that? How are we gonna do that? And then not just that, but there's logistics of, Lord, I've looked and I've looked and I can't find any existing facilities. God, what are you going to do? I, I feel tapped out. Lord, this path, I don't know all the pieces and where they move, so God, that feels overwhelming to me. That feels like a Jericho, and, and God, I don't know about building things. You're gonna have to have the right people come around the table because that's not 
that's not who I am necessarily. God, how's that gonna happen? And the people that are gonna be needed to serve, they all seem like Jerichos to me. And if I'm honest, like, I've been living in this, y'all, for a long time. Like, many more months than you have. And quite frankly, I'm kind of over it. I'm like, let's go past, let's go. And I'm tired, and I'm stressed, and I'm scared about all of this. When I look at it, here's what I know. I know that we won't get to there because of some sermon I preach. And we won't get to there because of some song that we sing or some video that we make. That's not gonna get us there. The only way that it's gonna happen, the only way that the walls are gonna fall is when we see a movement of God take place. And there's a part of me, there's the control freak part of me that really hates that. Because there's also then this, this, this godly part of me that knows though that when the walls fall down, that ultimately God is gonna get all of the credit for that. And so I kind of celebrate that fact that as, as overdone as I am, as terrified, as somehow scared I am, as tired as I am of this, that as we continue to watch God do what he is going to do, it's gonna be such a compelling story to tell and he's gonna get all the glory for it and we're gonna be excited to tell it. But can I just tell you that I wish right here in this space I wish, like, I think in my heart, like, God, is there something I can do? Is there something I can say that would somehow just, like, make the, the, the problem, the challenge go away? Like, make it accomplished. Like, what button can I push? And there's, there's something, in it, and it feels like a silly question, but I'm also kind of serious about that. God, if there's, is there something I can do that would unleash your power or that blocks your power that keeps that from actually taking place? You know, it seems to work in the comic book world. Bruce Banner is just doing his thing and all of a sudden he gets angry and that anger just triggers this like Herculean strength and now he's unstoppable. Right, or we think about Thor. So Thor, when, when there's a problem, what does he need? He needs his hammer and then he can vanquish any foe. Or I even think about growing up with Popeye. You know, Popeye is hanging out and he's in town and he's got that look of good looking broad olive oil and they're hanging out in the restaurant and then Brutus comes up and starts messing with olive oil and, and Popeye finally kind of like hits his limit. Do you remember what he said? He says, I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And then what does he do? He opens the can of spinach. He says, I'm strongs to the finish because I eat me spinach. I'm Popeye the sailor man. <laughs> and all, all of the, like, the, the millennials and the Gen Xers are going, what on earth just happened right there, right? <laughs> or think about Superman, right? So Superman was the other way around. It was this thing that limited his power. Whenever he got around kryptonite, it just, it just messed him up and he could go no further. And so as a preacher, you know, I, I principalize kind of stories like that and I wonder, is there something that activates or that limits the power of God? Is there something that does that? And when I look across scripture, there's something that absolutely does. It's humanity's faith. Humanity's faith unlocks or limits the power of God activated in that space. In fact, I don't understand all of it, but in the Gospels, there's this story where Jesus goes back to his hometown and, and he's not able to do any miracles. And the people are like, what gives, Jesus? Why aren't you doing some miracles? And it says that Jesus left and he was amazed that at their lack of faith. It was like the power switch for Jesus got turned off. And what releases the power of God, listen to me, what releases the power of God in our lives, listen, look at me, is humanity's obedience, is when we accept God at his word and when we act in faith, there's something powerful about that where we see the work of God. So listen, I, I look at this challenge in front of us as a church at Let's Go, and I don't mean to say this to like guilt anybody. Look, listen, if this is not your church, I'm not even talking to you. But if this is your home, I mean, and I don't mean to say something that would push you to do something that you don't want to do, but at the core of all of this, that if we want to see the power of God unleashed, it's only going to happen when his people respond in faith. And that takes us to the story that we've been studying, and I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles. The orange ones are underneath your chairs. I was told that I told you the wrong page last week because I'm actually studying for the next series that's coming, and that was the page for that. So this page is actually 148. 
right? Someone verify that for me. 148. Turn to Joshua 6, and I just want to remind you, if you don't have a Bible, please take one of these. We want you in God's Word, so just write your name on it. Bring it back next week. Don't let it get dusty, all right? As we looked at this story, this is what's happened. God said to his people, you're on the way to Jericho, and I'm going to make these walls fall, but it's not going to be any of the normal ways that you would think about them falling. You know, historians tell us that there were about five ways that the this, this city could have strategically fallen, and God says, yep, I'm not going to do any of those. Here's the plan. I want you to take some fighting people. I want you to take some priests. I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant and some trumpeters, and then here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk. You're going to walk around the city. And you're going to do that once every day for six days. And so that's what they did. And not a single brick fell on those six days until they showed up on the seventh day. And that's where we left the story, that they walked around that then seven times on the seventh day. Now, as they were doing this, listen, inside their hearts and inside their minds, they were reminded of something that God had told them before all of this started, something that needed to be deep in the core of who they were and their operating assumptions. And that's something that he told Joshua in chapter one. And we've asked you guys to learn it, to internalize it, to memorize it, to get it tattooed on your arm, whatever it takes here. And and this is what was fueling their ability to keep moving together forward together, and so I want us to read this with enthusiasm, right? I know everyone's a little sleepy. Look, I ran a Tough mutter yesterday, okay? It was only three miles, but I'm feeling really beat up just in general, and if I can do this with enthusiasm, so can y'all. All right, so let's read this here together in Joshua 1.9. Come on. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So then what they do is they step out in faith. They begin walking around the city for seven days. And then in Joshua chapter six, it says this, verse 20. It says, when the trumpets sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, Now, I just want to pause. Listen, I want to remind you of something, that before what's about to happen actually happened, before God did what he was about to do, the people moved first. We talked about this. Before there's any movement, our our talk has to become a walk, that our faith actually has to become a leap, and that's what happened with these people. They did what God asked them to do, and this is what the next verse says happened, that the walls fell down. And don't get it confused. Listen, the wall didn't fall down until after they walked. It didn't fall down and then they walked around it in faith. They walked around in faith and nothing happened for six days. And they were probably confused and their faith was stretched thin and they're saying, God, I don't know about this. But they had this thought, it was the size of a seed where God said, be courageous, do not be afraid. I will be with you no matter where you go. I've told you I will deliver you. They walked and they believed and then God delivered. It says that the wall collapsed, and so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. And God gives them victory in light of their faithful obedience. Now listen, this next verse, so powerful because God gave them the victory but it's also perplexing because it, it introduces maybe for some of us some thoughts about the heart and the mind of God that are challenging for us. And I don't really have time to talk about the entirety of what this would require, a whole message about just this one point. But it, it's kind of confusing and it says this. It says, they devoted the city to the Lord and they destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. And we read that, listen, and, and some, some folks that are like, I, I'm, I'm struggling with cynicism about this whole faith thing and I, because of stuff like this where I read and I don't know that I can follow a God like that. And what I wanna tell you is, listen, the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible, when someone says, hey, I don't believe in God, I just say, well, which God don't you believe in? Because the God of this, you know, this religion is very different from the God of that religion, but the God of the Bible, which is oftentimes very different than the God that we make up in our own head. 
The God of the Bible is a God of love and he's a God of justice, both at the same time, not separately, not one at a time, but at the same time, a God of both justice and love. He's a God of grace and he's a God of truth. In fact, one of the ways that God operated all throughout the Old Testament was that he would use nations to bring about justice on nations that were living in rebellion from him. In fact, we we studied this about a year or two ago. This happened to the nation of Israel. See, they started strong, but they rebelled against God. They said, I'm not gonna submit to your ways, God. I'm not gonna worship you. And so they got pulled aside by all these Canaanites, and these kings had these hard hearts, and and, and they they lived in rebellion. And it's not just like, hey, they, they were a little bad, like, they did wicked, 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 evil things. They, they, would, they would oppress the poor. They would, they, were, they would be racist. They wouldn't have hospita- hospitality for the people that needed it. But here's what else they did. They would bow down and they would worship these idols. And outside the cities and on these mountaintops, they would build these poles, almost like totem poles, and they would be devoted to these gods. And what they would do is when the crop wouldn't come in, they'd say, well, we didn't honor that God well enough, and he needs sacrifice. And so they would take their boys and girls at the age of eight or 10 or six or four or two or even infants, and they would throw them into the fire to satisfy this false god. God would come to them and and plead to them and send prophets and say, you can't do this to my people. Why are you living in such rebellion? And he would have kindness. And and then over and over again, they would reject him and they would reject him and they would reject him. And God just said, listen, I am a just God. I am loving, but I'm also just. And so what God did was he said, I'm gonna use the empire of the Babylonians to bring about justice on these evil Israelites that rebelled against him. Well, the Babylonians weren't, weren't much better. He had King Darius. He was very arrogant, very proud. He didn't learn the lessons of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And so God then said, well, there's gonna be justice against you. And he brought the Medes and the Persians to do that against the Babylonians. See, God did that over and over again. We don't understand all of it, his, his love and his justice all at the same time. But, but what, I wanna, what I want to tell you is that as God had his people move against the promised land, he wasn't being cruel. That's not his heart and his mind. And, and I understand that it's perplexing when, these read the, when we read these things, but what I want to show you is that when, when, he, when they went in and did what he told them to do, they did it and they got victorious. And the first thing that they did is they said, God, you're the hero of this story and this victory in this city belongs to you. And then after that, there's some instructions about like, hey, there's this person and you need to spare this person and this is how this is gonna go down. But then we kind of land the plane in verse 27. In Joshua chapter six, verse 27. And it says this, it says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. Now this was kind of a, a, not just a way of saying, hey, Joshua became famous, but this was a way of saying that Joshua was known as a follower of the Jehovah God, whose God was the Jehovah God, who delivered his people from Pharaoh and out of the land of Egypt. And, and it wasn't just that Joshua became famous, it was that God became famous because of what had happened. And God became known. So I want to back it up, and I just kind of want to replay what's happened at a really basic level, that they came to Jericho, they saw the walls, and because they calculated things by their own strength, they said, this is too big and too scary, and God says, you be courageous, and I'm going to deliver them over to your hands, but you just got to follow my plan, and they followed the plan, and then God stepped in, and he gave them the victory, and they acted in obedience, and they devoted it to the Lord and gave him glory. Now listen, as a result of them acting in faith. That when, when something like that happens, when the walls come down, whenever we listen to God, listen, when the walls come down, the praises have to go up. Whenever the walls come down in some area of our lives, the praises have to go up. And in all of our lives, this, there are these moments where these, these Jerichos in front of us, and it might be a physical thing, it might be a financial thing, it might be an emotional thing or a spiritual blockage that's in the way. And when we step out in faith and when we do what God has asked us to do when those walls fall down, we have to respond by lifting up the praise. Now listen, I've been a part of so many church prayer meetings where we'll say, what do you want to pray about? And I just want to pray for my cat and his thyroid or this car that we need and this vacation. We're going to go out and we offer up these prayers and we say, God, we're asking for breakthrough. And then when it happens, we never circle back around and say, God, I'm just gonna praise you for it. 
because I asked for it and you gave it to me. And God, I followed you and you came through and you gave me breakthrough in this area. When the walls fall down, the praises have to come up. And I know for some of you, the medical community said you'd never have a child. And now you're rocking that baby to sleep. And for some of you, you have this broken relationship and you didn't know how it was going to get pieced back together and now you're going to be spending Thanksgiving with them. And for some of you, you know, you thought of that person in your life that you've prayed for for over a decade and you thought they'd never come to Christ and yet you watched them get baptized. And when those walls come down, the praises have to go up. And for us, listen, as we see God break down walls of various kinds, even within this context of what we're trying to do here together, as these walls come down, the response should always be that our praise would rise up. They had victory. They moved into Jericho. They devoted the city to the Lord. And God's fame spread. I said at the beginning of the series that it's a challenge to, to communicate what we're trying to do because not only are we trying to talk about where we're headed as a church, our vision, but also to communicate information, and this is exactly what it is, and what we're trying to do, but there's also this desire to preach a sermon that actually makes sense and is helpful for everybody wherever they're at. And so I just wanna, for a moment, kinda put the let's go campaign thing aside for a moment, and I, I wanna talk to you about a couple things that have to be true for anyone that professes to follow Jesus, you know, and this is true for us in the campaign, but it is absolutely true if we say our lives are guided and directed by Christ. That if the walls are gonna fall down in our, in our lives, that we need to understand this, that people are responsible for obedience and God is responsible for outcomes. If there's one thing that you could like shake into your kids and into your own heart, it's this reality that people are responsible for obedience and God is responsible for the outcomes. Now, this is the call that, that you and I, <laughs> that we're called to simply let God be God and listen to him and obey him and leave everything else up to him. That's it. It's that simple. But listen, we don't like that. We don't like it because some of us were wired that we want to know that as we engage in this thing that there's an outcome that's going to be guaranteed for us. That if I just follow this, this diet, this workout, if I just have this pill, I'll lose this kind of weight, my marriage will be saved, money back guarantee or 30 days, you know, or you get your money back on this thing. Like that's, that's what we want to experience. We want to know that, that it, it, what's going to happen is going to happen exactly the way that we want it to. Now here's what I'm gonna tell you. The only guarantee that we're gonna have is that God is God and that we're not. You know what the difference is between you and God? God doesn't think he's you. <laughs> you ever hear that? We have to stand in this place where we say, God, I'm, I'm gonna obey you regardless of what the outcome is. And I'm telling you, this is a bigger struggle than we might even care to cognitively admit right now. God, I will do this. God, I will submit. God, I will step out in faith. God, I will, I will honor this person. God, I will work hard, but that's only going to, ha I'm only gonna do this if you guarantee me that I'm gonna get the promotion, that my spouse is actually gonna love me again, that my kid is gonna end up on the varsity. Like, God, I'm only gonna operate in faith if I get the guaranteed outcome on the other end of this. Listen. God says, I want you to obey regardless of what the outcome is. And God is not interested in holding you accountable for the fruitfulness. That's his job. He's only, he's only interested in holding you accountable for obedience and honoring him. Listen, some of you have people in your life and you know that you're supposed to share Jesus with them and when they get on your heart, you just start to think about, I don't know, I don't know how they're gonna respond. Listen, that's not up to you. Like you're called to be a, a witness, not an attorney. That's God's job. And some of you have relationships and you know that you're supposed to forgive them and you know that you're supposed to have these hard conversations and you just think about that and you start to go, yeah, but I don't know how they're gonna respond in the middle of that. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can really have that tough conversation. How they respond isn't up to you. That's in God's camp. It's on you to step out and be obedient to what God's asked you to do. 
And some of you, listen, God's asked you to step into new ministry opportunities. God's asked you to step into to serving for the first time, to take a new job, and you're like, I don't know. It doesn't seem safe. God, I don't know that I can trust you with the outcome of this thing. Listen, the, out, the issue is not about the outcome. It's about our obedience. And, and he told these people, you walk around the city, and I'm going to bring the victory. God, that doesn't seem like a great plan, walking around the city, like just shouting. You be faithful, and I will be faithful. Leave the results to me. Can, can I tell you that as a pastor, this is something I've really struggled with over the last 18 years of ministry? Because I wish, I wish that there, I, like I'd like to believe that there's something inside of me that I can do that will yield certain outcomes. And what I've learned over the last 18 years is that you all are really unpredictable. You're unpredictable in your attendance, you're unpredictable in how you serve, and you're unpredictable in how you give, and I wish that there was something I could do, I wish there was a, a secret song I could play or a sermon I would give that could do something. But I heard a, a pastor one time say, hey, be really careful that you don't take credit for the people that stay, or you're gonna have to take credit for the people that leave too. In other words, Listen, Scott, if you live by their praises, you're gonna die by their criticisms. And, and, and the outcomes of your life and the outcomes of your ministry and the outcomes of these things that you're worrying about, that can't define you. The only thing that should define you is are you being faithful? Are you being obedient? So stop worrying about the outcomes, about what's gonna happen with the church and just be faithful to preach the word of God and love people well and leave the rest of it up to me. And listen, some of you are in marriages right now that are a hot mess and your kids are running off the rails, and your business is having challenges, and it's really tempting to think, you know, I, I wish I could just ensure the outcome, and if I, if I could do that, you know, I gotta control how this is gonna turn out because so my spouse will eventually turn around and love me again, or so my kid will make varsity, or that my business will succeed no matter what. And here's the problem with that. When we have that mindset, we feel like we have to control it, now we're operating in fear if it doesn't turn out this way. So I need it to turn out this way, so now I'm gonna hold on to you and I'm gonna define myself by that relationship or that business and I can't let anything happen that's, going to, that's gonna violate that and so, and so that thing becomes an idol for us and those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And then you end up harpooning all of those things instead of just trusting God with it and leaving the fruitfulness up to him. Let's let God take care of what he is supposed to take care of. And number two, we need to be reminded that God is the only one who receives credit when the walls fall down. Now historically, it's funny because there's some, there's some historians who try to explain away what happened to Jericho. They would say like, hey, when they sounded that trumpet, you know, like a certain frequency, made all the, the rocks crumble apart, or they would say, hey, there was an earthquake that happened at the same time, or some people would say, you know, when they marched, it created this resonant frequency that made the, the, the walls just kind of turn against themselves and all fall apart. But what I see happen with that is sometimes things that happen in our lives is that people try to explain away the obvious work of God in the world, and, and I just want to pause and say, hey, wherever you're at in your faith, walk that you would stop looking at the things that are clearly supernatural. Stop trying to explain them in the natural. Just look at some things that are too big and just are true. Because listen, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty and Jesus was seen by 500 witnesses. God's word offends every culture because it's sharper than a two-edged sword because it's the word of God. And we can talk about all the scientific reasons that the walls came down, but the walls came down, you wanna know why? Because God said they were gonna come down. And when that happens, God becomes the hero of this story. It's God and God alone. So I say that kind of in connection with let's go because listen, if we, if we meet our goals, if we raise that $400,000, this is not going to be because you have a gifted pastor or, or leadership that has all their stuff together. It's not gonna be because we did something right. It's only gonna happen because God did this. 
and he gets all the credit for it. And when certain things come down, you can't explain them by man, you have to explain them by God, and that's a good place to be. In fact, guys, if we only ever do the things that we can explain away by our own strength and our own abilities, and our own management techniques, our own gift set, we're walking by sight and we're not walking by faith. And God is calling us to something deeper here. I want to say one more thing and then we'll kind of hop back into let's go here. It's point three that the same God who made these walls fall down then is still the same God that will make our walls fall down now. You know, I, I read this historically and we think, hey, that's so cool. You know, God made those walls fall down then. That's a great history lesson. But we forget that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever the same. And the same God that made the walls fall yesterday is the same God that's gonna help you with your addiction issues and that's gonna help your messed up marriage and the same God that's gonna be over your prodigal son or your sibling who keeps blowing up their lives. And listen, humanity changes, humanity changes it fails, it weakens, its leaders will, 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 will mess you up, but God does not tire. He doesn't grow weak or weary. He doesn't complain, he doesn't check out, he doesn't get bored, he doesn't say, man, I think I'm just gonna take a break for a while. He's always actively engaged. The universe will not thwart the will and the power of our God because he speaks to the mountains and they jump into the heart of the sea. He is still God, and yet somehow we get into our educated cultures. Sometimes we get into our scientific world and we think we have to explain, about, uh, explain away what happens. And God is still alive and he's still active and he is still true and he still speaks truth and he still breaks addictions. The same God that let those walls fall down are the same God that's gonna have our walls fall down. And there are so many times when I forget that and I think, God, it was so cool, you know, when you did that business in the Old Testament you're so active then, but, you know, now we got Jesus and so it's like, it's like different now, right? It's like less. <laughs> Listen, the power of God does not show up in fallen walls. It shows up in an empty tomb. And yet somehow in my life, I live day by day as if the truth of God is true, but as if the power of God isn't. And sometimes it takes looking into a story like this to say, nope, that's the same God. He's the same God then that he is today and he will be the same in the future. And whatever our walls are, God can break that down. But listen, I'm telling you, don't expect God to break down your walls if you're not willing to walk in obedience with what's right in front of you. Don't expect God to come through and expect broken walls if you're not faithful. Don't ask God to do something if you're not willing to do your part. You would step out and you need to own what you can own and God's gonna own what he can own. And when that happens, listen, he's the only one that gets credit for that. And then you'll see that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the walls will come down and the praise will go up. Now listen, when we, when we talk about the mission of God, when we talk about let's go, I think we all say like we're for it and this is great and, and we're people of faith and we wanna obey, but I wanna suggest something to you. That if you really wanna know if you're obeying God, if you're living a life of faith, that you would stop thinking about what you say and stop thinking about what you think about and you look at what you actually do. One of my life challenges is the issue as like a homeowner and adulting is the issue of deferred maintenance. Because what'll happen is I find something that's true or I, I wonder if it's true and I go, huh, that's interesting. So like when we first moved into our house, I, I look and oh, look, there's a little trickle coming out of the water heater. Huh, let's see what happens with that. <laughs> and a week later, it's exploded and my basement is flooded out. Well, that happened again to me this last week. I don't know, maybe two weeks ago, uh, Jennifer buys a bunch of meat and we put it in our basement freezer and, um, and I'm like, that's great. And, and I'm down in the basement where I teach lessons and I hear it every once in a while. The fridge kind of goes, and I'm thinking, oh, it's just the, the, the ice maker cycling, right? Hmm, interesting. Let's see what happens with that. And then, um, my parents are in town, so my daughter's staying in the basement, and, and it's like, Dad, it really smells downstairs. And I'm like, okay, maybe there's, you know, the bathroom has some issues going on. Let me just go check that out. And I'm investigating, and I'm going, 
wait a minute, I remember the fridge was making a funny sound and I go and I open up the, f- the freezer in the most horrible stench, like made me like, like a dry heave like right in front of me. Like the, it had completely lost all refrigerant. Like it was, it was just absolutely room temperature and this $200 worth of meat had just like liquefied into like syrup at the bottom uh, of the fridge and it just stank up absolutely everything. It was horrible. You know, it's easy to think you know, I should do something about this. But then the pressures of life where you just, you're just like, huh, wonder what'll happen with that. And, and the tendency to, to stay doing what you're doing, the tendency to not do something becomes stronger than when I know I actually need to do something. And, and we can think, you know, that we're for reaching people and living for the mission of God. But listen, Jesus says that there's two people, two people who heard the same facts, had the same knowledge, but one of them was wise because he built his house on the rock. He heard and he put it into practice. But the foolish one is the one who heard about it and didn't do a darn thing. Listen, the real testimony of what is not what you write on paper. It's not the theology of your head. It's practically what you do. And so when it, when it pertains to let's go, for us as a church, we're saying it's go time. It's go time. It's time for us to say, hey, what do we really believe when it comes to what God has asked us to do? And so as we kind of move into go time for us as a church, I'd say it this way, that this is our step out of faith. This is our, our faith of leap. That, that we need to step back and let God be God and we'll give him all the glory for it. And so what we're doing this weekend is we kind of wrap this part of this journey together, wrap it up, is that we're gonna take this moment and just process what God's been speaking to all of us and step into making commitments. And so I want you to take a look under each chair. Every other chair, there's an envelope there. And, and we're asking that anyone who calls Grace Fellowship Church home, so if this is not your church home, this is not for you, but I want you to take that out. And there's a spot there that, that you get to respond with how God's been leading in your heart. And we've been talking about this for the last three weeks plus, and I, we didn't want anyone to be surprised by this. But there's a response there for you to be able to respond with how God's been leading you for a three-year financial commitment above and beyond what you normally give. And, and what I'm asking you to do is that you would just fill out the information on this card, and there's different options there. And listen, we never pass a basket here, and we're not doing that now either, right? But this is a unique time for us as a church. where We've been kind of slow rolling through thinking about what faithfulness looks like in this context. And and we want to have an opportunity to kind of have a meaningful response of worship. And so what, what we're going to do is we're asking that anyone that calls this place home, right, that in the next couple minutes here, this is, again, this is so different than what we normally do, but I, I think it's going to be helpful for us as we kind of create this Ebenezer of a moment is we're gonna ask you to fill out that card and then in just a moment when we start singing is just have you put your card in here, right? This is a three-year commitment. But there's not only a commitment card, there's also a name tag. And we're doing this very intentionally and what I want you to do is after you fill out that card and there's different options for different responses on that card there, but I want you to write down a name of someone who is far from God on that name tag. And when you come and you put your card in here, and that's gonna happen over the span of the minutes that we sing this song, you put your card in here as a way of, of worshiping the Lord, wherever God might have led you to do with that. I want you to take that name tag and peel off the sticky back for it, and I want you to put that name on the outside of the box. And I'm doing that because purposefully we wanna be reminded that this is not about brick and mortar. We're not in the, the building business, that's not who we are. But we're in the change lives business. And behind all of this is tied the people that Jesus loves and the people that we love and we want to connect those two together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to provide just a a couple minutes, not a long time, but just a couple minutes to fill that out. And we're going to ask that every family fills one of those out and just responds here during our worship time together. And as we sing together, you'd bring that up here. But what's been really cool is seeing how God 
has blessed us even as we've stepped out in faith in the weeks that we've been having this conversation. And God's been gracious enough to have a few bricks already begin to fall for us. And two nights ago, your leaders came together and made commitments for a total of $78,000 over seven families. And I say that to the glory of God. And I say that to say this is, this is not something that your leaders don't believe in, because we do. And we give God all the glory for that. And I want to say that with many of us to go, I think this is a doable goal, and the walls can come down, and the praise can go up. And I just want to remind you that whether you're a retired grandfather or a single mom, this isn't about equal sums of money. This is just about equal sacrifice, because only you know your situation, your financial situation. But this is about all of us having skin in the game. And this is that moment where we've searched God out, and we say, God, would you put on our hearts the number that you'd have for us in the middle of all of this? And this is stretching me, God, but I'm going to choose to walk in faith with what you've called us to do. God, would you help me to play my part and then we can trust you to play yours. So let me pray. We'll spend just a few moments and then I would just ask you to respond and pray kind of as we put those names on the outside of this box as well. Again, putting your card in here and the name tag on the outside of the box. And just pray that God would take these seeds of faith (laughs) and he would do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Let's pray together over this. God, today we're seeking your wisdom and your faith in this moment. Holy Spirit, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. God, give us a heart of wisdom. God, would you take these commitments we're going to make here this week and in the weeks to come, and would you bring about real kingdom impact so that you can be more famous in this place. God, so that our neighbors, our children people we go to work with, God, that we can welcome them into an environment and a context where Jesus can make sense for them and that disciples can be made and that our children, our students will have a space to meet, that we'll have a, some sort of home base for ministry. But God, I, I also believe that this is going to be something that you do in our hearts that becomes a testimony to what what you can do and would do through our surrender. Because this is a new muscle we're, <laughs> we're having to exercise as a church body. And I believe that this is going to be a Jericho that you're going to help us conquer and it's not going to be the last one. But it certainly is the one that's in front of us. And so, God, as we respond with obedience, we trust, God, that you'll respond in faithfulness. Be honored and glorified, Christ, we would pray in Christ's name.